Lord, here's our simple prayer as we turn to your word now. For your glory. Change us. Make us holy like you are. That, that our lives would proclaim that we are your people and you alone are our God. We ask this by the power of the Holy Spirit today. We ask this through the redeeming blood of Jesus that purchased us at such a great cost. We ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, you can be seated. I want to just change a couple of things about the order of our service today, and, and I want to let you know that up front. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Jan Daniel chapter 3, we'll be there in just a moment. But if you're our guest today, welcome. Thank you for being with us. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at MetroLife Church. It's an honor to have you with us, but I do want to make sure I communicate something this is a time where we're going to update the church on some giving. That is not why you've been invited today. Uh, thank you for being here. It, it's a delight to be able to host you. This is not why you were asked to be here. Or, or maybe this is not why uh, you, you turned in here today. I just want to release you from any sense of obligation because I'm updating the church on something that we have been participating in for about three weeks now. As a church, since the beginning of the month, we introduced this the first Sunday in January and we're calling it Faithful uh, 2022. And I just want to read the passage from Psalm 100 that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart to be a part of this, this uh, matching gift campaign. A, a group of donors came to us. Uh, they, they know us as a church. They know our, our kind of 36-year history. Uh, we're entering into our 37th year of ministry here in Orlando in Central Florida area. Uh, we've been in Castleberry for about 22 years. But uh, they, they knew us, and they were just kind of observing what it is that we were doing, and they came with a very generous offer of, we're, we're going to put up $50,000, and if your church can, can raise those funds, we will match them up to $50,000. And so as a church, we're just saying, okay, Lord, what do you have for us in the midst of that? But, but I want to highlight the, the passage today from Psalm 100, chapter 5, and I'm just going to read, or excuse me, Psalm chapter 100, verse 5, but I'm going to read all five verses. That's, that's the entirety of the psalm, because I think you're going to find some familiar passages in there that we, we often talk about in worship, like, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Perhaps you've heard that as a call to worship before. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Why do we bless His name? Verse 5 so aptly summarizes it for us as a church. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In this last part. 
and his faithfulness to generations. And really what we're celebrating in the midst of this very kind and generous offer is the faithfulness of God from one generation to another. And I want to give you an example of that that actually was birthed from Metro Life Church but does not currently kind of reside within Metro Life Church. And, and actually, it's an anniversary that Danny and Melody Jones, uh, Danny's one of our, our, he's actually our founding elder here at Metro Life Church. They are in Miami because uh, Palm Vista Community Church is celebrating their 25th anniversary as a church this weekend. And they're there in Miami. Now, some of you may say, I have no idea what you're, what you're celebrating. Well, that was a church plant that came out of Metro Life Church 25 years ago. We, we had one of our pastors that was sent and commissioned to go and plant a church in Miami. And really what we're seeing now is heading into a third and fourth generation of ministry in Miami. Because God is good. And his faithfulness is what endures from one generation to... I'm so glad it's not yours or mine. I'm so glad it's God's faithfulness. That's what we can rejoice in. That's what, that's what gives us the ability to enter into his courts with thanksgiving and joy in our hearts. His faithfulness. And so we've, we've named this campaign Faithful 2022, and we've talked about it being something that recognizes as a church our generational legacy, but also what we believe that God has called us to, and that is a transformational future, a future where we continue to see lives transformed by the power of God. We believe that. I think Lewis's word speaks to that this morning, but I want to update you on where we're at. You've probably been seeing the number up there all, all along. I've, I've been catching it out of the corner of my eye. We currently have 27 giving. We have $26,777. What a great number. We are 54%. Now, we have through the month, month of March to, to raise these funds, but I just want to say thank you, church. Thank you for partnering with us in this. Because I think that it's more important to me as a pastor here in this church that you see the mission that we're called to as a church than any outside group. I'm grateful for the Lord's, what, what appears to be supernatural provision for what we believe that God's calling us to. But what matters most to me is how I see you participating in this. And I just want you to know how grateful I am for that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to kind of turn, and it may seem like a strange pivot to make, but I want to talk just for a moment about the dignity and sanctity of human life. You may think, what a strange turn to make in the midst of, of this, and, and I'll make a connection for you here in just a moment, but bear with me, because this weekend marks an anniversary that honestly, is heartbreaking. And so we, we acknowledge that there are systems in our country that are broken and fail God's good and wise design when it comes to the dignity and the sanctity of human life. And so let me make it very clear. Metro Life Church's stance on the sanctity and dignity of life is very simply this. That as bearers of the image of God, 
the image that he has given to us, we affirm both the sanctity and dignity of life. And this includes conception to natural death and through eternity. For us as a church, that's what matters. So one thing that we want to be aware of as a church is not just having a voice that that shouts out in in opposition to the things of the world. I think it's right that we participate in that way. I think there's a call for us to do so in Romans chapter 15. But not just voicing opposition to the world and in the areas that they fall short of God's good and wise design for his glory, but to, as a church, be a part of the solution that is needed. This is a part of what it means to be those who are a part of a restorative work of God's good design. And so to that end, and this is where I want to make a connection to your giving. To that end, we have been working with the pregnancy centers and Embrace Grace to offer now support groups for women and men who choose life. We will be, as a church, offering support groups, which means this, that there is a study that we'll go through. We'll look at God's word together. Uh, there is a group that is, is beginning to form, and I'll let you know who to contact if you want to be a part of that. Because perhaps your heart just leaps, and, and this is where I just say, I love that about the impulse of who you are as a church. Your heart leaps at opportunities to be a part of solutions. And I say that it's women and men choosing life. We believe that men are a vital part of choosing life. We want to serve these women and men as they make that difficult decision. And so not only are we going to have study groups, but as a church, we will host and, and, and throw a baby shower for these families. And, and here's where it's Thank you for making this the easiest yes I get to say as a pastor. Yes, we will allocate those funds for that, absolutely. It's the easiest yes. Yes, we will make time and space in this building available above anything else for this. Yes. And and it's easy for me to say yes because I, I know that that represents your heart. And your mission that God has called us to as a church. And so thank you, church. Thank you for seeing the sanctity and the dignity of human life as something that is so vital. We believe that this is vital not only for those men and women who are choosing life at the moment of conception, but I also want to highlight very briefly the issue of racism. It's very easy to make unhelpful comments when it comes to this, so I'm going to keep things brief, but this week not only marks the anniversary of a horrific Supreme Court decision, those are my words, it marks a day of remembering Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so as a part of affirming the sanctity and dignity of life, we see that The tapestry of races is a part of God's good and wise design. It is a part of his beautiful, beautiful, glorious creation. And so, this week, we continue to pray that God would help us as a church to serve as those who are ministers of reconciliation, This is a part of our explicit call as those who are believers to be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom, that we would see all bow their knee to God and worship God 
together because he is glorious and he deserves our praise. Why do we do this? Well, we do this because as Christians, we seek to make the will of Christ supreme over our own lives and then let that spill out over society as we are called to be part of this restorative work that God is doing in this world. So our witness is going to naturally extend to the, to the means and the methods. So this means that our votes, this means that our voice in, in local matters, this means that the way that we reach out to our brothers and sisters in any st- season or stage of life. So we oppose any form of racism. So we're focused today on abortion and racism, but these truths extend to all areas of life even when it comes to the moment of natural death, even when it comes to things like special needs, fostering and adoption. We want to be a part of the solution, not just raising our voice in opposition. And so our conviction as a church is this, that Christians are to seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, the truth of God's word, and brotherly love, Because that's what Christ set the example for us in doing in his earthly ministry. This means that we are ready to work with all who are of goodwill in any cause. That we might bring glory to God, being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising loyalty to Christ and his truth. And so church, would you just pray with me now that we would be strengthened and empowered Father, we ask, Lord, we know our call is to be ministers of reconciliation, and and so often our minds go to this grandiose scale when it comes to that. But Lord, I pray that you would help us start with our own hearts, our own groups of friends and family, as ministers of reconciliation both with those who would be tempted not to choose life in those moments when they they first realize that they are pregnant and with our fellow man who by your good and wise design look differently than us. Father, I pray that we would not look to one another, but collectively we would look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We don't look to one another to find strength in our time of need. We don't look to one another to understand the right way to even pursue all of these things. We look to you because you've given us your word. You've equipped us in your ways. So God, we ask for your help that you might be glorified through our lives, through our homes, through our families and our friends, in our workplaces and our campuses. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much to Daniel chapter 3. So this is officially the beginning of my sermon time, just as a heads up. So that means we've only got an hour to go. No, I'm teasing. That's, I'm teasing, but it's kind of been what I've been doing lately. So uh, Chip said, wrap it up so we can get to home to see the bucks. Um, I hope it's not like a massive letdown like some other teams had yesterday. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's golden image is the title of today's passage. 
Uh, it may be named that way in your Bible, but Daniel 3, I want us to consider this concept. As believers, we are called not to be consumed in the midst of our circumstances. And so my sermon title is very simply this, Not Consumed. And, and here's what I think that we're going to see in God's Word today. Believers can be confident in their testimony of the one true God because of the presence of God with us and Christ's work for us. So let's, let's just take a moment and pause and think back of where we've been as we enter into the third chapter of Daniel. In the first chapter, we saw that Christians are called to imitate Christ's steadfastness. He, he faced persecution and death for our sake. And the way that we imitate Christ's steadfastness is that we are true to God. We are true to his message, even in times of difficulty and adversity. We saw as Daniel and his friends became these exiles in a foreign land. But it was a part of God's will as he was giving them to the nation of Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 2, we realize that God reveals his greatness in his coming kingdom so that all will praise and worship him. We begin to see that, that God's message all along has, has been, yes, specifically for this covenant people of Israel, but he's all along been reaching out to all of his creation and drawing all of his creation back to him and saying, you are mine and I, have, I am providing redemption for you. So we're starting to see this kind of beautiful symmetry in the writings in Daniel, aren't we? These written motifs in music, we, we talk about motifs often. These written motifs are going to help us understand more about today's passage. We're going to see a good bit of repetition today, even right off the bat as we begin to read in our passage. And so if you have your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 3, would you begin reading with me? We're going to look initially through verses 1 through 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, Lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, perhaps it's easy to think, yes, I hear the repetition. They really go through those lists quite a bit. It's true. 
I think they want us to understand that everybody in the governance of Babylon was involved in affirming what it was that Nebuchadnezzar was doing. But here's the key words that we want to hone in on. I think it's repeated something like nine times just in these opening verses. Nebuchadnezzar is the one that set all of this up. Make no mistake. He's not being tricked into something like, you guys, you built a 90-foot, 9-foot wide golden statue and I didn't even know. There's no excuse. Nebuchadnezzar knows what's happening. Why? Because it tells us Nebuchadnezzar set this up. If there's any doubt in your mind, Scripture tells you nine different times, this is the man who is responsible for what's happening in this kingdom today. Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it might be easy to think Is this the same king that we left last week that was like bowing down before Daniel and his friends and saying, look at their God. And and yes, it's the same guy. And here's a frightening reality for us today. Nebuchadnezzar had had experienced religious conviction without spiritual conversion. He had the conviction of God is great. For y'all and he never made it a part of his own life i think it's estimated that this is somewhere like nine years past the events of daniel chapter two when daniel explained nebuchadnezzar's dream to him he had he had prostrated himself he knew he was in the presence of a greater wisdom than his own daniel's god nebuchadnezzar confessed was the god of God's, the Lord of kings. We see that in chapter 2, verse 47. And so it can be a little disorienting to all of a sudden realize he goes on and sets up a golden image. It's almost as if he's not satisfied when he hears, yeah, the dream that you had, like just the head of the image was gold. Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, why not make the whole thing out of that? So what does he do? He sets it up. He makes something that is 60 cubit wide by 6 cubit wide. It's 90 feet by 9 feet. It's interesting to notice here that in Babylonian math, because I know a lot about that, in Babylonian math, it was based on uh, units of sixes. Uh, Greek math, which is kind of the basis of much of what we use today, at least last I understood. I, I I don't know a lot about it now. Based on tens. So 60 by 6 in cubits would have been around 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. It's an interesting obelisk to have kind of out in the middle of nowhere, but I think it's worth noting this is actually being built, the plain of Dura, which is around the same area that the Tower of Babel would have been built. It's a passage that we we did not include in our Genesis series, but it's there captured for you, where the nation basically comes together and says, let us... Make a great name for ourselves, And it's almost as if Nebuchadnezzar is ignoring all of that. And saying, let me make a great name for myself. And what he experienced at the end of chapter 2, with his dream and its interpretation, really only sought to delay him glorifying himself in the nation. He had experienced a religious conviction without spiritual conversion. Can we see ourselves in Nebuchadnezzar already this morning? Where we gather together, we have these wonderful experiences, God. We feel like the presence of God is like, you you feel it. 
Maybe you've even experienced that in worship this morning. Do you know it's always there? We're going to see that in just a moment. His presence is always there. But, but I, I, I feel it. It was, it was like it was so real. What difference is that going to make on Tuesday for you? See, this is where we can begin to see ourselves in Nebuchadnezzar a little bit. So let's be careful not to like pile on like, what an idiot king. As if we don't have some of those same propensities in our own heart. So he has this religious experience in chapter 2, and now he's going to put himself at the center of one. So let's just think about this for a moment. All right, it didn't work when we built a tower. It's not good enough that it's just the head. I'm going to put myself at the center of religious experience. And, and let's, get, let's get like the Babylonian version of Ryan Seacrest to host this thing. So this herald gets out there and says, you know, right after this commercial. No, he says, he says uh, every time that you hear all of this music, I don't know how bagpipes existed back then, but they did. And the triads, that's a guitar. It just reminds us that guitars are better than piano in the eyes of God. It's okay. I love you all. Piano is a wonderful instrument, but guitars are spiritual. <laughs> Ryan Seacrest comes out and says, when you hear the music, of course, orchestrated by what must have been the John Williams of the day, right? I mean, who else could bring that cacophony of instruments together and make it sound like something that you would want to bow down to a golden image in front of? And so they set up this wonderful experience, this encounter this religious experience that the nation can have, not about the God of gods and the king of kings, but about Nebuchadnezzar himself. He puts himself at the center of a religious experience, and so we realize that Nebuchadnezzar had had an encounter with God, but it didn't lead to wisdom. What a foolish act. What a brazen act before a holy God to put yourself in the center of idolatry. I mean, even just hearing it now, I think we all realize, not just because of the emphasis that I put on it, like, that's not, that's not good. Don't do that. And yet it's exactly how he was leading his kingdom. And here's how we begin to see that instead of having a new heart, Nebuchadnezzar had the same old heart. But as we'll see throughout today's passage, it's a little more hardened. I mean, he has this blatant blasphemy in the same place that the entire nation once said, let us make ourselves great. Nebuchadnezzar said, no, I'm going to make my name great. And so we continue in our passage today with verses 8 through 12. Would you read with me? Daniel chapter 3. Therefore, at, a, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. 
They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now let's just pause there for a moment and and let's just begin to understand what's happening here. Just kind of in summary, the world will criticize God's people. Very simply put, the world will criticize God's people. For those who believe in Jesus for salvation, this is actually intended not to frighten us about the world, but it's to equip us how it is that we are called to interact with the world. Let's not be surprised when the world acts like the world. When we receive criticism, oh, it's been there all along in the heart of man. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. What does that do? It equips us to know how it is that we should interact with the world. We don't have to go along with the world because we are living not for this day, we're living for eternity. We're living not for this earth. We're living for another kingdom, a kingdom whose throne is established in the heavens, sovereignly ruling over all creation. I'm sure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had years in the king's court. I'm sure that they were shrewd in their dealings with people and that we might today call like political rivals. I'm sure that that was happening in the king's court. It had to have. Did you hear how many levels there were to the governance of Babylon? I mean, it's a list. It just feels like it just goes on forever. Wait, are you a king, a prefect, a magistrate? I forget. There's so many layers to it. There must have been this kind of political infighting that they would have had to be shrewd to navigate to even survive years in the king's court. It's as if these Chaldeans are trying to help Nebuchadnezzar see, hey, listen, uh, you made a mistake letting these guys live. And so we're going to give you a political out to kill them. I mean, we're just here to help you, O king. May you live forever. I mean, listen to their words. It actually gives us the intent. They came to the king, how? Maliciously. Nobody's stumbling into these things. There's intent. There's design. There's intentionality. Both the Nebuchadnezzar setting up and these Chaldeans coming and making these accusations, trying to give Nebuchadnezzar an out from his own, according to them, foolish ruling and now Shadrach Meshach and Abednego are set apart in a way that I'm sure that they never intended why do I say that well let's notice how the three of them seem to just be going about their lives they're just living their faith but what do these Chaldeans instantly recognize and just just so that you know the Chaldeans were like the they were like the, the, the scholars of the day. They were the ones that were kind of charged with all knowledge, so to speak. This is why I say that there are times that we have encounters that don't lead to wisdom. And that we shouldn't be surprised when the world criticizes us as God's people. Because their, their knowledge was of this earth. And it was of temporary things. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a faith that led to wisdom that was so needed into their everyday life. It was so worked into, it was so ingrained in everything that they did. They were just going about their normal lives, living out their faith. It was a part of their regular routines. It was a part of their rhythms. It was a part of their priorities. You get where this is going? It reigned above everything else in life. And you know what? That stood out to people. People noticed the difference, so much so that they schemed to get rid of them. 
even in the king's court, their faith was obvious through the way that they lived their lives. I think that's vital for us to understand today as a church. Would people around us, throughout our family, in our workplace, in our schools, would they say that you have an obvious faith that makes a difference? Are you the person that people stop by your office when they're in time of need to just simply ask for prayer because they don't know what else to do in the moment? I think it's vital for us to understand that we should look different than the world and not be surprised when they criticize us for it. Let's continue through, beginning in verse 13, and we're going to read through to verse 18. Then Nebuchadnezzar... He responds to them coming to him in a furious rage. He commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, will deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The world will challenge the people of God to worship other gods. The world will challenge the people of God to worship other gods. I think you know this about me. I'm not here to demonize the world. I'm here to be a part of the witness that restores the world to God's original design. I'm here to be a part of what I believe is our mission as a church to go, as as we were talking earlier, as ministers of reconciliation, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. So the world is not my enemy, it's my mission field. But I need to know as I'm going into that mission field what's going to happen as I interact with them. Again, this is how Scripture doesn't cause us to be afraid of the world, it teaches us how to engage with the world. A couple of weeks ago, I introduced the series, perhaps to you, of the TV show, What Would You Do? And as we were preparing this week, Mike Nash, one of our elders, had some great input here. He said this, we all make kingdom choices every day as we're confronted with challenging situations. It's so true, but let's make sure we're thinking rightly. Let's make some connections when we're thinking about what kingdom are you living for questions let me ask it this way and and as I do let's just really kind of dig into our our thoughts our hearts desires maybe even our motivations a little bit more what would you have done in this situation 
What, what would we as a church have done if we were faced with this? Bow. I mean, however large or however seemingly small, maybe they didn't have to take it seriously, right? I mean, like, Nebuchadnezzar seems to kind of be giving them second chances. Hey, listen, maybe y'all weren't ready last time. No, maybe they were serving a different God. I think they were perfectly ready to stand. But what would we have done? What would, what would you have done? I mean, maybe they could have just said, you know what, I'm going to bow on the outside, but in my heart, I'm standing. In my heart, I'm standing. This statue kind of seems like a joke. I doubt that those were, you know, proportionate to Nebuchadnezzar. That or he was one of the veggie tales. It seems like a bit of a joke. God knew that they really were serving him right. Like God knows the motives of my heart, so maybe, maybe I'll bow on the outside, but not in my heart. They could have said, well, who is this hurting if I bow? I mean, I'm still going to live my truth that God is God. So who is this hurting? What, what difference does that make for my faith? Let, let, let the nation bow. It's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting us. Nobody's harmed by it. Aren't these some of the routine exercises that we kind of go through trying to fudge on our convictions a little bit? Ah, who, who's this hurting? This is an individual sin. It's not a corporate sin. It's, it doesn't affect my marriage in this way. It doesn't, do, doesn't affect my relationships with life. Uh, do all of these kind of mental gymnastics in our heart. But they, what did they do? They decided no. They decided no. We're not going to do that. Why not? I mean, maybe it made them feel good about themselves. Now the whole nation's looking at us. Not in a good way. Nebuchadnezzar is filled with rage at this moment. Maybe they just like to be a part of a group. No. Why not? Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 through 6 tell us why not. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing the steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. They said no, because God told them no. See, it's, it's different to just affirm 
with our words that God is powerful, sovereign, and good. That, that part's not difficult, is it? Living according to that belief? Challenging. We're going to face these oppositions. Knowing that God has a perfect plan doesn't necessarily lessen the pain or the frustrations that we walk through when hardships interrupt the rhythms of our lives. And the question that is being asked of those who are originally hearing this passage is not whether these incidents will arise, but how will you respond when they do? And our view of God is critical here. Our understanding of who God is is critical. It sets the tone for our hope in the midst of crisis. It, it, it gives us where our source is that we're going to look to for strength in every situation that we walk through and the temptations that come along with those things. It is the place where we find courage and encouragement against all hostilities. The conviction that God was working for their good prevented Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from despairing in the midst of this circumstance, even as death is what is right before them. And isn't it amazing to know this today, church? It will do the same for us. It'll give strength. It'll give courage. It takes courage not to compromise. Your, your mind needs to be made up before the pressure comes, doesn't it? Because if you're trying to do that, you are already behind in the midst of the moment. If you wait until the moment of truth, you may find out it's too late. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know beyond a shadow of a doubt the power of their God. They know His commands. And they may not always know his plans and purposes, but neither do you or I. But they set an example for us. And here's where I want to remind you of one of the purposes of the book of Daniel. It is not dare to be a Daniel or even dare to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I want to stand here today and once more say, I dare you to believe in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. I dare you. Don't dare to be them, dare to believe in the one that they believed in. And then next, they utter one of the greatest affirmations of faith that is captured in all of Scripture. In verse 18, but if not. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Testify, fellas. That is a testimony we can get behind. It's a testimony of the only and true God and their absolute trust in Him with their very lives. Testify. See, deliverance and rescue is not what these men are seeking. It's not the primary thing for them. Confession of who God is and obedience to Him as God is the most important thing to them. The ESV study Bible's note on verse 18 says this, There was no doubt in the three men's mind as to God's power to save them. We see this in chapter 2 as well. More of that repetition and motifs that we're beginning to pick up in the book of Daniel. Yet the way in which God would work out his plan for them in this situation was less clear. 
Now, perhaps you've read this passage before. Perhaps you've seen that VeggieTales special. No, we're not going to play the bunny. Mike Nash also recommended that. I only took, I only took half of what he said at Faith Valley. I said that would be an awkward transition from worship, right? <laughs> Classic, though. Yeah, just like you, Mike. That's why we love you. Just like you. Back to the ESV study Bible before I get myself in trouble. God's power is sometimes extended in dramatic ways to deliver his people as when he parted the Red Sea for Israel on the way out of Egypt in Exodus 14. At other times, that same power is withheld and his people are allowed to suffer. Either way, they would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Let's continue today in verse 19 through verse 23. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. What do we have here? We have a portrait of courage in the face of the fire. And and here's where, if you've heard this account before, let's try to think of what the original hearers, the original audience, where they would have been at this point. They are themselves exiles in a foreign land. They are facing fiery circumstances in life because of being exiled. They don't know where all this is going. Daniel's capturing this for their benefit and by extension our benefit today as well, but they don't know where this is going. Will God save? Must have been going through their mind at this moment. They would have been sitting at the edge of their seat saying like to whoever the scribe is, finish it up. I mean, he might have just thought, you know, let's pause for dramatic effect. I think this is a good idea right now for myself. Take a little drink of water. They fell bound into the fire. And they would have been wondering, why didn't God stop the king before he had them thrown into this fiery pit? Because it's so related to their own circumstances in that moment. Why didn't God intervene when we were being exiled? What is the fire you're facing today? Are you wondering why God hasn't intervened yet? Are you wondering <clears throat> Are you wondering if breakthroughs coming ever comes to an end? Are you wondering if being bound ever becomes loosened? God has an answer for you today. 
Oh, I'm way off my notes now. Let me catch up. I think we've all heard of a fire that <clears throat> seems like it's under control and then it just explodes out of nowhere. I mean, like, television shows and movies are written about these fires. In Florida, we know them as muck fires. They kind of smolder and burn under the surface. I think that describes Nebuchadnezzar and what's going on in this circumstance. There is an increasing burning rage that we read about in this passage. See that? That putting himself at the center of the universe, in that center of worship, I, I, making an idol of himself and his grandeur and his perceived greatness, creating all of these circumstances, being the one who sets up and orchestrates all of these things literally. It's revealing something about him. It's revealing something about fire as well in Scripture. It's used in a number of different ways, illustrative for us to understand what it is that God is doing. And I think the two primary ways that we read about are, are two things. One, it's a consuming fire. It leaves nothing untouched. It leaves nothing unscorched. Secondly, it's what? A refining fire. It refines us. It changes us. For those who believe, it makes us more into the image of God, which in Romans 8 says, it is good that that happens, that all of these things are working together for good, even when it doesn't feel good. See, it's no doubt that Nebuchadnezzar had gone through a major change. I mean, it even goes so far as to describe his face as a part of expressing his disposition, doesn't it? I have no idea what that rage and consternation looked like on his face. I'm assuming it wasn't pleasant. He had gone through a major transformation being revealed and putting himself at the center of everything. And the next stage of his sin was to be worse than the first where he actually throws these men into the fire. See, in Daniel 2, he had been prepared to put to death those he didn't trust. Now he was working to execute the only per people in his realm he could trust. See, in the midst of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's convictions, not only would they say that they would not bow, and their convictions were these deeply formed determinations. It's built on their foundation of beliefs in God as the one true God. They had this total trust and this total faith in God. And as a part of that, they were an, under an oath to their God to be loyal in their interactions to those around them. They were the only men he could trust, and he's executing them. And as we read in this next part, in verses 24 and 25, let's be encouraged Let's actually have our faith in God stirred up this morning. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. 
This is where we understand that the presence of God is there to protect. It's a presence that protects. The presence of a fourth man in the fire is a reminder that God is present in our circumstances. It is present in the fire that you are facing, however small or however large. God is present. He is with you. And He comforts us even in our most difficult days. See, before the Lord delivered these men out of the fire, He chose to be with them in the fire. And God doesn't always remove our troubles, but He's active in them nonetheless. Daniel Aiken says it this way, The God who did not deliver them from the fire was the God who met them in the fire and then delivered them out of the fire. So let's conclude with verses 26 through 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. That's weird that he didn't want to go in there and get them himself. (laughs) Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men the hair of their heads was not singed their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them nebuchadnezzar answered and said blessed be the god of shadrach meshach and abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The faith of God's people makes His glory known. Your faith makes the glory of God known in this earth. No matter where you are, no matter what you're walking through, your faith in the midst of that make the glory of God known. You know, it's a wonderful time of year where fire pits are a thing in Florida. It might be like the two or three weeks that if you have a fireplace in your house that you actually like check the flu and then use it, right? Maybe that's just my house. It's pretty drafty. I can't sit around a fire pit and it not smell like I've been sitting around a fire pit. My allergies won't let me get away with that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't even smell a fire. That seems strange. What a a strange detail to to include. Fire pits linger with you. Grilling lingers with you. But we're told that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego escaped without a hair being singed, that their cloaks were fully intact, and no smell of fire on them. Why do I draw attention to it? I, I believe this is what this reveals about how comprehensive God's presence and protection are. Let's just think about it for a moment. It reveals how comprehensive our faith is meant to be, and it shows what 
what people pick up around us when it's not. Their hair is not singed. Why? Because they are covered by a sovereign and eternal king who rules over his creation and his loving rule for his people. Their cloaks, those who believe in Jesus Christ are clothed in what? They are clothed in righteousness. And can I tell you this? That alone is what you need to be able to stand in the presence of God. No fire in this world can ever destroy that. They don't smell of smoke. Our lives, as they're lived out in faith, in the faithful king, are a fragrant offering. They are a living sacrifice before the Lord. You know, unfortunately, over the years, I've been in a few hospital rooms with burn victims. And it alters the physical appearance. It's scary in those first moments. But there's something that's dangerous in the midst of the fire or in the midst of being burned that that you might not even see. It's a heat inhalation. There's the invisible internal damages that actually cause some of the most violent and tragic death. It's what's inside. Hair, cloaks, scent, what do these all, all point to? Well, they point to the all-encompassing nature of the presence of God and the comprehensive protection that God offers to you as his children as he's in the fire with you. I think we try to avoid the fire. And God wants to show us today that he's with us in it, to meet us in it, to protect us through it so that he's seen as all-powerful and glorious. See, that's what's available to me and to you today. This account underscores the profound witness the faith of God's people has on those around them. Our lives should always communicate that Christ is strong, good, and holy. You know, there's, there's much question about was this an angel or was this Christ? I think what we have captured in Daniel is a Babylonian king trying to make sense of seeing four men in the fire. But can I tell you this? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will ultimately go on to die. Christ with you in the fire will ultimately lead, lead to eternal life. I'm not here to try to posit if it's an angel or Christ. Can I just say this? I, I believe I've had an interaction with an angel. I'll take that. Because it's not natural. It's supernatural. Just like our faith is called to be. Let's not try to explain away what it is that we see here in the book of Daniel and say, well, you know, I don't, 90 by 9, what does that matter? What does it matter that, they, I mean, there were actually furnaces in Babylon. Archaeologists have actually found a furnace that at the foot of it actually has the footstool for a very oddly shaped idol. You know, little stuff that like affirms the word of God in the real world. 
But let's not try to explain it away, right? Try to explain it away like this is a great account and it's going to make a really neat children's special for, for children's ministry someday with strange music about a bunny rabbit. See, we can kind of do that at different times, can't we? I, re- I was reading uh, in study this week, and, and there was an author who was kind of pointing out where, where we will try to kind of hedge our bets on the power of God. Like, maybe it was that, that the, they didn't actually walk on water. It was just like shallow water. That, okay, I mean, that's, that's a perspective. I think the greater miracle there would be that you had a boat with 12 dudes in it floating in four inches of water. I don't know a ton about, like, draft and on boats and stuff like that. That seems pretty miraculous to me. Let's not try to explain away the power of God. Let's not try to hedge our bets when we realize that we are called to a supernatural faith and a supernatural and eternal God who in real time interrupts and shows his power. Let's look to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. Our lives should always communicate that Christ is strong, good, and holy. I mean, what have we learned here today? We've, we've seen that Nebuchadnezzar had an encounter that did not lead to wisdom. We've seen that the world is going to criticize God's people. We begin to understand how the world will challenge God's people to worship other gods. We're given a portrait of courage in the face of the fire. And God reveals to us a presence that protects. And that the faith of God's people can make his glory known. And so this is why I say, I think what the, the main point of Daniel chapter 3 is this, that believers can be confident in their testimony of the one true God because of the presence of God with us and Christ's work for us. Like Nebuchadnezzar, I'm just going to ask the band to pause for just a moment. Let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Like Nebuchadnezzar, have you had an encounter with God? But all it did was kind of inform you in, in your head rather than transform you from the inside out. Perhaps there are smaller idols just kind of laying around in your faith. Things that you're not yet willing to give up, distracting you from the all-encompassing beauty of Jesus Christ and the claims that he makes on his followers. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have you determined convictions in your faith? Has that been displaced by anything else in the world? Have you had conversations with, with friends lately where you've used lines like, you know, I never thought it would go that far. I never thought I'd be in that place, but I really feel like God is calling me back to something. I'm familiar with those conversations, but here's the good news. The God that calls you back will provide the strength to return to him. Are you prepared to withstand the attacks of the world no matter the cost? Do you know that God is with you even now in the circumstances, situations, trials, maybe even the sufferings that you're walking through? Spurgeon in his daily devotional morning and evening in describing God's presence with his people says this. Because his soul delighted in them, he could not stay away. 
he longed for them. Never were his people absent from his heart, for he had written their names on his hands and engraved them on his side, just as the breastplate containing the names of the tribes of Israel was most brilliant ornament worn by the high priests, so the names of Christ's elect are his most precious jewels glittering over his heart. We often forget to meditate on the perfections of our Lord, but he never stops remembering us. Let us repent for our forgetfulness. And pray for grace to bear him always in the fondest remembrance. Lord, paint on the eyes of my soul the image of your son. I'm going to ask you just just in a moment of silence here, most most of our day, would you just close your eyes with me? Most of our day today, I have been addressing those who have put faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. But I don't assume that the fires of life that you're facing aren't what led you into this place today. And more than neat little architectural or archaeological details and fixtures in time, more than details about Babylonian math and all of these other things that we've looked at, you are desperate in the midst of the fire for salvation. And perhaps the one who led you here today is the one who is already with you in the midst of that fire. And he's offering his salvation to you right now. He's offering his nail-scarred hands The price for your redemption, his blood. He was bound to a cross so that you can now walk unbound. He is the one who clothes you in robes of righteousness that can withstand any circumstance that you're walking through, any fire, however great or small. He is the one who says, let me dwell within your heart so I can begin that transformation process. He offers his salvation to you today. Can I simply ask you this? Don't harden the heart he wants to take up residence in. Believe that you too may testify. But if not, but if not, I will not bow. Acknowledge your need for a Savior in this moment. Believe that Christ and His work is enough. Confess not only your need for a Savior, but confess that He alone is Lord. And let your life begin to declare His goodness. If you're here today and you're a believer, Is the Holy Spirit revealing small idols in your heart that he's asking you to do away with? You are clinging to it in the fire. 
and you're realizing that it's found wanting? Is God today calling you to shore up your convictions? Those declarations that are easy to make when you're around friends and fellow believers, but they're oh so difficult to live out in the quiet moments of life when you're alone. I'd like to invite the ministry team forward now. If any of these categories have been for you, as, as the band just begins to, to play and, and lead us through this song, that's just such a re- wonderful reminder of our identity in Jesus Christ. I'm just going to simply ask you, to take a bold step of faith and just step out from your seat and make your way forward to receive prayer and ministry in the midst of this moment. If you're here today and you're the one saying, I'm crying out for salvation, this team is prepared to help you through that process, to pray with you and to pray for you. And more than that, that that as a church, we can walk with you through the difference that that's called to make every day, not just today, in this moment. See, I don't want us to be a people who encounter a holy God and walk away unchanged. I want us to be a people who encounter a holy God and that invigorates the life that we're called to live. I think that that's your heart too. Can we stand together and sing? And if that's you today, would you begin to make your way forward in response?